In September of 2010, UFO researcher Robert Hastings held a press conference which consisted of a number of former US Air Force officials who had been stationed at various nuclear bases that claimed to have unexplained experiences that involved UFOs. The former service members described puzzling accounts where sudden malfunctions in missile launch and communication systems that seemed to follow within minutes of reports of strange lights or unidentified craft that appeared over or near their facilities. Recalling events not just reported in the US but Europe and the former Soviet Union, it's difficult to not see a correlation between UFOs and military bases housing nuclear arsenals. A series of events occurred in the fall of 1975 in northeastern Maine that seemed to support the theory that perhaps extraterrestrials were interested in the most destructive of human technologies of the time. This case file joined the theorists as they produced one of the most historically accurate dramatizations of classified communications between US and Canadian authorities regarding the Loring Air Force Base UFO Incident. This is going to be way easier now that I have this up here. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 182. The Loring, well actually, we're going to call this the case of the Midnight Skulker of Loring. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way better uh, title, yeah. Or the Loring Air Force Base UFO Incident. I'm Braden. I'm Zell. I'm Tan. Um, I'm pretty sure you mean I'm stupid sexy Braden. <laughs> huh? Yeah. What do you mean? I would say uh, you look like stupid, sexy Braden, big time today. Big I time. Can't help if I'm sexy. Don't forget stupid though. This is what happened yeah. last year when when the running challenge <laughs> started. This is when we got stupid, sexy Braden. Now the running challenge is back, and he's I got a, he's ahead of the game. Yeah, it's stupid, yeah. comma sexy Braden. <laughs> I'm trying to shed as much weight before the running challenge to make myself as aerodynamic as possible. And just like swimmer's shave, I assume that runner's shave as well. No drag. Decrease the drag. Right? Science. Yeah, yeah science. That, that checks out. You probably don't have to grease yourself up like you do before every run, though. It's a little excessive. Again, that's so I can slide down the hills like on <laughs> Penguin Mario. <laughs> it's fair. You definitely are built like a penguin, so that makes sense. Just grease up and save yourself a little, uh, little distance. Save those now, joints. You know, decrease wind resistance. It's fine. Now we were we we posed a question uh, to our listeners on social media uh, before this episode, and that was, uh, why do we think that UFOs are so interested in our nuclear bases? What, what's going on? Just I'm getting about fourteen comments in the chat right now, being like, "Oh, Andrew has light." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So funny story. We a quick segue before yeah, we start before to we get start. into the question. Let's explain this. Um, so we got Andrew the same webcam as everyone else. He should look as good as us. Nothing He's had it for months. He's had it for so months. Almost a year. Probably. I, I got him. I got him some circular lights to give him some light. And I just always assumed the room was so shitty. 
So I'm like, hey, man, you want to come on and brainstorm a little bit before the show? He goes, yeah. He turns his webcam on and I go, what's going on here? You look so crisp. You look so good. What's going on? He goes, nothing. I haven't done anything different. I'm like, did you change setting? You look like all of a sudden you went from like 480 to 1080p. What's going on? He goes, I know I got the light on. I went, you have a light in there? And he goes, yeah. Aren't I supposed to have it off? And I'm like, you got to turn it on, man. Fucking Jesus. I'm trying to set the mood, the ambiance. I just thought you had shit light in there this whole time. Just bad light. I was like, oh, man. Listen, you guys all look like you're in the dark, too. So I'm like, I thought that's the way it's supposed to be. But we have more light than just these two rings. We got like a little bit bit above light, a little bit of side light. You just, (laughs) you always look like you're recording on like a fucking old school webcam. But it's the same HD webcam. I actually, at one point, I thought that he may have his webcam plugged in, but for some reason hadn't changed the setting and was like using an old, like built in camera to a monitor or some yeah. shit. I was like, I was like, I don't know what's going on there, but like, I don't want to talk him through it. Listen, I was doing you guys a favor so you didn't have to see this in HD. Okay. That's all it was. He was, That's it's it. like, yeah. it's like those guys who play left handed pool the whole time. Make him all of a sudden he switches the lights on. Now he's cements his number one position. That's what he's going for here. Yeah. That's exactly um, what it is. Exactly. You got, yeah, you it's got crazy. Um, all right. So let's get to it. We, we asked a question of the theorites on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, why do you think UFOs are so seem so interested uh, in our nuclear capabilities or the nuclear capabilities of the human race? Um, I mean, th- as we were getting into this, I was surprised that like as early as 1948, we've been seeing like nonstop uh, UFO activity around nuclear sites. Um, you know, one of my favorite theories that kind of popped up, someone mentioned was like, um, this was like a litmus test, right? Like, um, this is like the first step in evolution of like, they're harnessing the power of the atom. Now they're coming in to take a peek. Cause this, whatever we're doing, we don't realize is like reverberating across space and time. It, it, what, what's that line from Marvel's where it's like, we're ready for a higher form of war. <laughs> I mean, Just this is what this is like. The case we're talking about tonight is seventy-five, right? And when, yeah. did we, mm-hmm. when like we had nuclear capabilities in forty. This is this is Cold War. 40. Like you're you're deep like Cold it's quite War. a bit of time. Forty-five right? yeah. was yeah. the first when they dropped 45. the bombs. Yeah, dropped. Yeah. Well, so when did we create? Like when was it fucking manufactured, ready to go? Well, I don't know. We probably it's, tested a couple before. Did we have like what was it like bikini bikini bottom or something? Was the first time we tested it? That's Bikini fucking bottom. SpongeBob. <laughs> Bikini something. It's Bikini, Bikini Alto or no whatever. It's SpongeBob. Called. No, it's that's the name of the island that we blew up. Isn't yeah, it? it's Bikini Atoll. Bikini but, Atoll. Yeah. Bikini yeah, Bottom Atoll. Atoll. Potato, gotcha. potato, tomato. Fucking way she goes. So why, Andrew? Why do you think? Why do you think these things are so drawn to nuclear capabilities? Well, that's a good question because, like, for me in my brain, I, I like I read a lot of the responses, and a lot of them were like trying to check in and see what type of technology we have and you know what I mean? Learn from us. But if they have the ability to travel, you know, throughout space, you think they'd be able to like observe from a little bit farther away than fucking floating a little bit, you know, right above the space force and be getting caught. Like, I feel like they're light years away from or ahead of us in that technology wise. But I think what they're potentially doing is just making sure we don't destroy the entire fucking planet. They're monitoring us to make sure that we don't go completely nuclear warfare and ruin this planet is what makes sense to me. Like if it, if anything, maybe they're just getting ready to preemptively intervene in us being dumb apes. Dan, Dan, what are you thinking? 
Um, what are you squinting? I th- <laughs> what do you think? I would think that, yeah, it is possibly a concern of extraterrestrials to see what we're doing. I I do agree on the, or I would, you know, I would argue the point that if extraterrestrials were interested in observing intelligent life, yeah, uh, harnessing the power of the atom, as you said, would be an important step in in what we're doing. So with spaceflight, so would flight in general, um, you know, any type of those things would be interesting to, you know, another civilization that is, you know, has some sort of either not not necessarily vested interest, but just, you know, even from curiosity's sake, would just be kind of, oh, this is a pre, um, like a pre-interplanetary or a solo planetary civilization and they're doing this and, you know, just check it out and just just watch it because... I think we would be the same way if if we found another civilization that was pre, you know, like the industrial revolution, we'd be interested in seeing just how it goes just for the fact to be like, I, I wonder what kind of path they're taking, because the, the interesting thing would be kind of like, wouldn't you guys want to know, like, what different path we could take? Like, I mean, wouldn't let's you want to watch? We'd probably rob them. We'd be like, oh, they got some cool <laughs> shit. Let's take it. <laughs> Well, it's like it's we're just taking a, you know, our steps, our first steps into, uh, you know, you know, into outer space and and taking the explosive power of the atom and all that stuff. And I would wonder what another civilization would think to be like. Well, we didn't do it that way, but they're doing it this way. So that's kind of neat. That's interesting. It's just yeah. as a, a way to compare our civilizations. <laughs> they did nukes before Bitcoin, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stupid monkeys. Uh, Zo, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, like, the, I don't think there's a coincidence to the increased sightings of UFOs and us discovering a technology that could potentially destroy the planet. Because what we've developed, <clears throat> like, you know, like now we have more tactical nukes and nukes and smaller nukes, but there's really no size limit to how big you could like make like a hydrogen bomb. So like we like we've discovered the potential to probably like destroy entire plant like if you took it to the extreme you could make a bomb so big that you could probably like crack the earth in two or something so i think that when we started blowing them up and we discovered this technology which is like the next step for our like evolution we've probably been monitored for a long time if you go with that theory of like they're scientists observing and like okay now these crazy apes have discovered how to blow themselves up even more maybe we should show up a little more. And then you start getting down the theories of, then there was the tr- the, the the truce, and they said they would give us technology if we didn't blow ourselves up and all the other theories. But yeah, I think it's because it's a technology that could wipe out a life-bearing planet, which might be a very rare thing in the galaxy. What do you think, Brayden? Well, I kind of, I'm, you know, I subscribe to that too, but I kind of think of um, if we look at aliens like as not so much maybe interdimensional mm. and you know why we see the rise because i i still think that interdim like inter like space travel that vastly is it's going to be hard for any kind of organic being um so for me i i start to lean towards that perhaps when we blow these things off <laughs> blow them up uh it does something to other dimensions right like where it's like we don't know the ramifications that these things we're splitting an atom and we can see the physical damage it does here on our plane of existence, but we have no idea uh, 
if and what it's doing on other planes. Rip us um, through. Right? Maybe it's it's ripping through like the power. Like we just maybe we just don't know. And that's what they're coming is they're coming to investigate like the source of these incidents. I like right? that. Yeah. I like um, that a lot. Interdim- cool. Interdimensional disturbance. Yeah. We're just basically interrupting their Wi-Fi signal. And they're exactly. exactly. <laughs> they're like, why, yeah. is our, yeah. why is our power out? <laughs> My upload this speed is, is shit. It's fucking humans. Now, that brings us to our case file tonight, which is obviously um, a UFO at a nuclear facility uh, at the Loring Air Force Base. I had no idea anything about this one. Never even heard about it. Cool case, before. though. What about, uh, it is a really it, cool case. What was the other alternative name? Um, the it's case the, of the midnight skulker of Loring. <laughs> to that right there, that is, dude. That to me, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that sounds like a fucking title of a Scooby Doo episode. Yeah, hundred percent. Scooby Doo yeah. in the case unmasked. of the midnight skulker of Loring. Yeah, right. Hmm. It's definitely. That sounds like keeper. some. That sounds like some like rich people discussing it over like. Mm. Mm. Oh, you're talking Blood about Rogers. the midnight skulker of Loring? Mm. Indubitably, yeah. yes. Indubitably, yes. It was quite. Yes. It was quite. Mm. Interesting, yes. Quite right, James. Pip, pip. Anyways, Dan, uh, take so, us through this one. Uh, yeah, like Andrew said, uh, this took place during 1975. And 1975, you know, pretty height to the Cold War. Shit's going down. Uh, this was at Loring Air Force Base, which is located in northeastern Maine. And at the time, it was one of the largest bases in the U.S. Air Force's Strategic Air Command during Strategic Air Command's entire existence. So um, if you go really quickly, really quickly about Loring, um, I've, you know, I've interviewed tons of people from Loring <laughs> and Loring more like boring. Am I right? <laughs> people of Loring. <laughs> That's, okay. that's what you had to interject with. That's yeah, good. there we go. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Am, I right? Am I right, people of Loring, or what? Hey, where's that? Let's see those hands, buddy. Okay, good. Just yeah. checking. Checking. Why? Why? Checking. Just, just, just no. checking in. That's all. Oh, that's okay. Uh, if you go through a lot of the a lot of UFO reports and stuff, um, I know. I think we talked about it even in um, the. Japanese Airlines 1628 case. We talked about Strategic Air Command, SAC. And uh, if you don't know exactly what it is, uh, SAC was responsible for the Cold War command and control of two of the three components of the U.S. military's pretty much nuclear strike forces. So all the nukes, like two out of the three, uh, you know, percents of nukes that they had were under their control. Um, The other ones being the Navy controlled and like submarines. So they were responsible for both the land and the bomber base. So land-based strategic bombers and the, the ICBM. So intercontinental ballistic missiles. Right. So they were in charge of the base at the time. Now, uh, Loring air force base, uh, at had housed at that time, uh, KC one, three, five tanker squadrons. So like they're, they're just these giant, like refuel planes. And then they also had the, uh, B 52 bomber squadrons, which were part of the elute nuclear weapons delivery mission. So these were the guys like first, first alert, you know, nukes are in the air. Uh, if we got, you know, call on the red phone, these right. guys were up in the air dropping nukes on Moscow. These are like, this yeah, is they're ready. They're, they're taking off. <laughs> they're also a fantastic pop band. If I do add, yeah. Yes, also. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you that's what it. they did when they weren't in the air. Oh, yeah, man. Love Shack, Rome, Rock mm-hmm. Lobster. Mm-hmm. Rock Lobster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bangers, some might say. Rock Lobster is a great tune. It's fucking a real tune. <laughs> so good. 
So on uh, October 27th of that year, you had security personnel at the base observe what they officially described as some sort of, at first, in the official documents, they said it is an unidentified helicopter. Uh, but if you go through a lot of the reports, a lot of them kind of go back and forth about what it was. They couldn't 100% identify that it was a helicopter because there was no <clears throat> helicopter sound. sound. Yeah. There was no like chopper the most, characteristics. The most, like, there was no chopper. <laughs> like, Get to the like, chopper. There was nothing. That, that, like, that was stood out to me. They're like, yeah, we're just going to classify this as a chopper. And then you read all the reports and everyone's like, it made no noise. And I'm like, well, then it's not a helicopter. <laughs> like, I've seen enough helicopters to know the noise they make. Now, did they, because I, I looked up, it's like, it says 150 feet, but was that 150 feet off the ground or 150 foot helicopter? Like No, 150 I've, feet off the, off ground. the ground. Yeah, okay, yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a big fucking helicopter. That's the fucking <laughs> helicarrier. That's shield, man. Shield. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. It's probably longer than that. <laughs> that might be it. That's a size. But no, it's just, it was just low flying. Low flying. Potential chopper. Silent right. helicopter. It also in seemed to have the features of red blinking lights and a white strobe light as well. Um, people kind of identify them as red navigational lights. So they seem to look like or resemble like helicopters or, or normal flying lights. Man, right. no... and we've, we've talked about that tons of times on other UFO cases of people of seeing these. And I chalked that up to... We have all sorts of planes and stuff in the sky. So when these things come down, they don't know the intricacies of our civilizations. And they, they're like, hey, these things are primitive. Let's see what's going on. They have these things. We can just blend in. Flash so then why don't reds. they have a fucking sweet ghetto blaster with fucking helicopter noises that they just press play yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, there you go. Maybe they don't hear. Maybe they don't hear sounds. Maybe they're maybe. deaf. Right. <laughs> they just absorb frequencies. They don't actually have ears. Got a bunch of intergalactic daredevils kicking That's ass. what I think in this case is I'm like, right away I go to like, I think these are mimics. Like when they come down and they have these lights and they they have no other like human craft characteristics, I think they're coming down and they, they've seen other lights and they're just like, we can blend in. And that's why they, they but can they? They get so ballsy. Mm, okay. In a sense. Like camouflaging themselves. Yeah. But not very good. Just lights. So within a few minutes of uh, observing this aircraft and it becoming dangerously close to the base and, and, you know, within these off, these definitely off limit top secret areas uh, of what is essentially the easternmost uh, base for the United States that if you wanted to launch nukes from, it would be from here. It's uh, pretty much you, Canada. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, it's so it's coming from Canada. You know exactly what this is. Obviously, Dan hasn't read about it because they don't talk about it in American textbooks. This was the first flight of the fucking Black Goose, Canada's first stealth helicopter. All they were doing is going to America and buzzing the tower, Canadian Top Gun style. Yeah, it's fucking with them. Big deal. <laughs> Sitting there with their high tech fucking Polaroid camera, snapping quick shots, of their nukes, and getting out of there, getting back to Canada. Well, the, the only thing, the reason I know it wasn't the Black Goose is because it didn't give off. The, the black goose call before it went ah, 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 <laughs> uh, before it flew away, which That's is fair. the telltale sign of the black goose. It's the calling card. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So within minutes, they had the Army National Guard helicopters dispatched in order to try and contact this craft, you know, hitting all frequencies, trying to get the craft to identify itself. 
and make it known who it was or what it was. Was it a lost helicopter or was it a civilian craft that had just like gone off course or something like that? Uh, maybe the radio was down. They had no idea, but any attempt that they made at contacting this aircraft or this object, none of them were successful. So they didn't hear anything. It was just silent from this thing. And then following that, shortly after this one craft appeared, Radar operators from the base in the control tower actually observed another aircraft that seemed to be circling about 10 to 13 miles northeast of the base itself. And that one also could not be contacted and could not be identified by the, you know, by anyone that was there who was observing these crafts. So do they chalk that one up to helicopter? The second one? They don't know what it was just, because it was 13, it was 10, 13 miles. It was off the base. So they didn't have like, nobody had direct eyes on it, but they had it on radar. Just, just radar. Right. Yeah. Dude, I, and uh, like, to be honest, I can't imagine working at a nuclear facility and you just seeing crafts that you don't know. You're like, well, these are unidentified because it's not like, you know, you're on the East coast. You're like, what's a, what the fuck's around there? As if, dude, you'd be working on a fucking nuclear power plant just like Homer Simpson, scratching yeah. your back, and fucking <laughs> shoving crayons yeah. up your nose, yeah, man, snoozing and eating donuts. <laughs> Don't even yeah. start with us. Can get so, a chicken in to do my job better. <laughs> now the event pretty much came to a close when that first unknown aircraft that appeared, so the one that was uh, observed having the red and the white strobe light, eventually flew north into Canada. Uh, where they said that it was near Grand Falls, New Brunswick. And then the second craft also vanished from radar. And they said that could have possibly been a result of it landing or perhaps descending below radar coverage. So it took off north to Canada. At least the first one the did, first yeah. One. Hmm. So what are you insinuating here, Dan? You better be very Careful. Careful. With who you're trying to point the finger of blame here at, my friend. Hmm. Because uh, i just remind you, we hold three votes to your one. So if you're trying to say this is Canada, <laughs> tread lightly, my friend. Listen, the guy tread didn't even know what the Black Goose lightly. is, so he's obviously uneducated. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> uh, so after the initial sighting had been made, you had the actual wing commander of the base show up and they had wing commander like we're talking freddie prince jr here right (laughs) like that's pretty fucking cool yeah he showed up no problem all right cool (laughs) took a break from his wwe gig to come out right you know told sarah michelle gallery he's like hey i gotta take some care of something real quick she's like god damn it i wish you weren't the wing commander he's like i know (laughs) (laughs) uh but they had they had the whole base pretty much lit up. So you had security vehicles out, you know, the blue flashing lights everywhere. They were all over the base. And the the wing commander had actually requested fighter coverage from the 21st NORAD region at Hancock Field, New York, and the 22nd NORAD region, North Bay, Ontario, Canada. So, but those two actually <laughs> denied his request for this, support. What? This blows my fucking mind. Honestly, when I first read this, I went... Okay, like, think about the circumstances here. You have a nuclear facility that has nuclear weapons on site, having unknown aircraft flying over, and they're like, hey, we need help. We need jets. Can you guys help? Canada's like, no. 
And then yes. Sorry, the boys. States- uh, call back later. The game's on. Hey, eh? we'll try and yeah. figure it out later. Hmm. But, you know, we're in overtime. So. And then they're like, hey, all right, well, we'll call the States. I mean, we got tons. Hey, like, can can you guys come? They're like, nah. Like, I, I just, just blows me away. I, this is a nuclear facility. Yeah. That an unknown craft is flying over and hovering around a nuclear site with live nuclear weapons. Two, yeah, it, it, two it unknown craft. It probably would craft. have been one of the, the, at least probably one of the highest priority, like strategic military sites in the U.S. at that time. Like, I just, it blows my mind that they would be like, nah, nah. we're not going to send fight. We're not going to scramble fighters. Nah, it's, it's, it's too, it's already, Dude, the sun's gone could, down. It's already nighttime. Hmm. Nah. If you're writing a Die Hard 6 and you want a movie idea, have the fucking Hans third cousin remove flying to Loring and steal a nuke from the facility. Oh, because you know, you I can hear that conversation with John McClane calling them being like, listen, we got to fucking figure this shit out. And yeah. they're like, no. We got Hans Gruber's third cousin removed at Loring Air Force Base stealing nukes right now. They're like, fucking pound it, McLean. <laughs> Come out to Loring. Have a few laughs. Fucking yeah. no. <laughs> it's, dude, it's, it's, it blows me away. Every time I read that, I, would, I like, would have to reread it and be like, what do you mean they refuse? How can you refuse requests for air it. support two, from a from a nuclear base? There's two unidentified craft near this base, the most strategic base on, on the they northeast coast. Was. Let's That's just why. let's just hypothetically hypothetically let's just say this was an enemy fighter f- fighter jet that was going to drop a bomb on this nuclear facility. What would that do if you dropped a bomb on like a base that has like? Nuclear nukes. warheads. Jesus. Well, especially send- this is during the no. Cold War as well. You think <laughs> you'd be like hyper vigilant. No, you have to arm them first for them to actually be like 100% dangerous. Unless it was but a stockpile of if- your like like the actual material. But if it's just a yeah. bomb, like if it was like a bunker full of plutonium or something, maybe. I, yeah, but, yeah, like, but I, don't, I don't think they keep they, it. They don't have that. Not on the base. I mean, like during this climate, wouldn't you be hyper vigilant? You'd think so. Like the... I don't know. That just doesn't because you said, Dan, this is the height of the fucking Cold War. Yeah. Right. Well, kids are hiding under their fucking desks at recess, like during drills here. <laughs> like, come on. So the commander of the base decided that it would be prudent to increase the local security posture. So they pretty much requested assistance from the main state police to try and identify this craft. Uh which they presumed was some type of helicopter, because what do you do when you call the main state? You know, you're going to call the state police. What are you going to say? Like, we saw a UFO? No. I mean, like, hey, we saw like a helicopter, but really it was a fucking You've gone top down at this point. You're like, please, we need help. We need assistance. The military's like, nah, fuck yourself. They called Canada. Like, can you scramble jets? They're like, "Ah, sorry, Paul. We don't don't have many jets. Like, we don't right, have jets. Uh, can like local PD? Would you assist us, please? Somebody. <laughs> hey, we hey need Canada. Help. Canada, can you send some jets? Uh, well, sorry, pal, they're too busy. Actually, they're playing the Canucks right now, so yeah. I don't know what we can do. Like, we'll, I we'll don't try think it later. they're in New York till next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going into OT, pal. So you're gonna have to call back later. <laughs> and then they uh, they actually made a call to actual local flight services to try and identify. <laughs> Just trying and everybody. Nothing. Everybody. They called everybody and nobody got back to him. You know, left him on fucking red. Yeah. <laughs> they got nobody. No big deal. It, it, it wild. Like everyone's just like, yeah, hey, not our problem, not our jurisdiction. So, like, standard procedure, they pretty much deployed like the 42nd security police 
uh, there's a station near, near, near the base, and they Bunch conducted Paul an entire sweep of the area of all of the weapon storage perimeter, uh, inside and out, everything. Uh, this produced nothing. They got nothing. They didn't get anything. No results. Couldn't find anything. This craft apparently had kind of held a, a circling pattern, and then it broke off. Uh, at that point, like towards the end of this event. And then, like I said, headed towards Grand Falls, Canada or New Brunswick, Canada. And then the radar said that they broke contact within the vicinity of Grand Falls. And it was like bearing 065 degrees, which is about 12 miles from Loring. And then they, they didn't even tell Canadian authorities at that point. Dude, like, okay, so I got a little bit of a theory on that. So they didn't tell the Canadian authorities that this thing even went into Canadian airspace, which makes me think when they called them earlier to scramble like any kind of aircraft, they're like, oh, why? And they're like, can't tell you. And they're like, well, Classified. we don't know what to do then. And they're like, well, just scramble them. They're like, for what? They're like, we can't tell you. <laughs> they're like, okay, well, we're not doing it. And then, because uh, later then they, they don't tell them at all. They're like, oh, fuck them. They wouldn't help us before. But I'm like, they obviously didn't know. Like, I don't think they would have known. That's my theory. On they were just like, ah, fuck the Canadians. We don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to fly across the border for a few miles for a bit. Yeah. Canada probably wouldn't even know. So uh, at least one of the officials stated that there was no point in using helicopters. Like they didn't want to deploy helicopters out uh, to, to uh, they, they kind of took a precautionary merit measure after uh, this event. And they they thought that there would be no real reason to scramble helicopters if they couldn't pursue this craft over the border. Over, right. So yeah. Brigadier General Roberts notified Major General Sniffen, who is the director of operations uh, of the border crossing issue like that they were having. And so permission was to cross was was requested. Well, it actually, it actually officials. went it went higher than uh, it went real high. Actually. It, it did. It like it went high. I think we have, I think it's actually a Canadian heritage it's moment. A, it might be a, docu a documented Canadian heritage moment. Again, I think it was missing from your fucking textbooks, Dano, but yeah. this is pretty big here in the North. I think it's when it was some like, I think the call went something like this. Ring. Jim, are you there? Ah, Jim, congrats on the big promotion. God damn it, Jim. We got a time sensitive issue. We don't have time for pleasantries. Jimmer, what's going on? God damn it, Jim. I, I told you we don't have time for pleasantries. We've got, we got an issue here at Loring Air Force Base. We need immediate assistance. I need you to help me get a helicopter across the border, Jim. God damn it, Jim. Anything. Anything but putting me in contact with those goddamn snow Mexicans. God, God damn it, Jim. Now's not the time for racism. We, we got an issue. We got a UFO buzzing our UFO facility here. All right? I've, I've, I've tried everyone. I need some help. God damn it, Jim. Who have you tried? God damn it, Jim. I've tried the goddamn Air Force. They got no jets. What about the Navy? God damn it, Jim. They got no ships and they won't help me here. God damn it, Jim. What about the National Guard? God damn it, Jim. I've tried the National Guard. Who do you think I called first? I've got a plan, though. I've... Luckily managed to acquire KPRC TV's news helicopter, Jim. God damn it, Jim. You mean Kenneth Storm and the eye in the sky? Yeah, god damn it, Jim. That's right. And I've packed this helicopter with the who's who. I've got good cops. 
I've got bad cops. I've got Canadian Flair, Bond cops, Robocop, Time cops, cops that can't be stopped, Jim. I got Lou Ferrigno, the Hulk. I got Hulk Hogan, Hogan's heroes. You know who's flying this helicopter, Jim? Maverick, Goose, and Iceman. I've got them working together. I've got them to put aside their differences and realize that they've got more in common than they all knew, Jim. God. Everyone's on board. Damn it, Jim. I tell you right now, you could have goddamn Wolfman and Hollywood for all I give a shit. You think these fucking cat or moose jockeys are going to put down their hockey sticks and help us? You're damned. God damn it, Jim. I hate these syrup suckers as much as the next. But make the call. You're telling me you want me to call these knuckleheaded... Oh, I just my barrel. God damn it, Jim. Jim! Call the puck suckers right now. God damn it, Jim! Call them. Give me the number. Let's do it. I've, I'll patch them in right now. Uh, okay. Uh, go for this, Alan. Go for Canada. God damn it, Alan! This is Jim Jimerson of the United States. Something or other doesn't okay. matter. It's classified. We have a All covert right. operation, and we need approval to caught. Cross American border or Canadian borders here. Okay. Yeah. What do you say? You gonna help out the U.S. of A? Uh, I don't know if. What know, do you mean you, you don't know? Listen to me right now, Alan, and you listen good. All right, I'll speak slowly. I got the Green Ranger. I got Rocky Balboa. I got the goddamn big bad Beetleborgs on a plane here right now, ready to cross this border and kick some UFO ass. So you tell me, son, are you willing to do your part for the United States of America? Uh, you know what? You should talk uh, this. You should talk this one over with Frank. I'll put him God. on. Hold on. God. 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 Uh, hey, uh, hey, golfer Frank here. Listen, Frank, we've already talked to your colleague. Time is of the essence. We got a helicopter that needs to cross into Canadian oh, yeah? soil right goddamn okay. now. We got Colonel Chapman. We've got Chief Warrant Officers Poland and Heron. Okay, we got yeah. FBI, CIA, FAA. We've got FBI agents Scully and Mulder. Oh, wow. We've got we've got everyone. This is a who's who. This is a team. This is a time. And we need your help now. We need to cross right now. We need you to scramble your jets and let them know we're coming through. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, Paul. The only jets we got are on the ice, and they're going into OT, so God I don't know what I can it. help you with. The plane's in the air. We need to cross the border right now. God okay. damn it. All right. Jim. Simmer, simmer Jim. down now, pal. Listen, here. Pitter-patter. We'll get at her. You're getting red. You look like you're going to have an aneurysm, so it's just, all good here, pal. Just, we'll try and figure it out. What do you need me to do? Can we fly into your airspace? Okay, well, let me take a little hike down to uh, the border there, and I'll talk to Steve. Steve's a good buddy of all the RCs down there. He's a good guy. You probably won't get hassled, eh? You know what I'm saying, though? As soon as you guys are done, why don't you stop by? I got a half sack. We can share with you. It's a little strong for you Americans, but we'll, we'll share. Don't you worry. Thank you. Thanks for the, your assistance. <laughs> and, that's and that's your Canadian heritage mode. It went. I think it, that's exactly... How it went. Yeah I, th yeah, I think I've seen that dramatization on the History Channel. Yeah. Well, you would have seen it in any kind of uh, Canadian Heritage Moment commercial through the 90s. Uh, anytime during Saturday... Uh, Saturday morning tracks, cartoons, so. man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Canadian yeah. Heritage Moments, along with uh, yeah. Wayne Gretzky's first goal. 100% uh, accurate. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> smelling burnt toast. That's a good one. But, but for real, like, but for real, like, anytime they call, they're going to be like... Hey, we need to come in airspace. We'll, like, what's Canada going to do? We're going to be like, oh, uh, sure. Yeah. All right. It's all right. Good here, B. Try it out. See how she goes. Let us know. All right. So after the gym, after the Jimmersons uh, try to get their choppers into Canadian, Canadian 
airspace successfully. Yeah. Uh, there's more to the case, but before that, we're gonna take a break, grab a couple beers, and we'll be. Before right we go, back. I hope someone makes a T-shirt for us with a helicopter just full of the who's who. <laughs> <laughs> just hanging, right hanging, down. piloting. Like, Lou Ferrigno is Lou. Hulk hanging off the hanging off the skids. Like <laughs> who else is Hulk? It's only Lou. Lou is the Hulk. Uh, I can't wait All for right. that that shirt. All right, we'll be right back. We're back. Nice. So all this weird shit happens on October 27th that night. And you'd think that that would pretty much be the end of it. You think that would be, you know, call it a call it a day. But October 28th, the very next night, mm-hmm. 745 p.m., uh, you had enlisted members, Sergeant Clifton, W. Blakesley, you had Staff Sergeant William J. Long, who were both assigned to the 42nd Security Police Squadron, who had already swept the base. They had already been witness to this this thing, or they had uh, you know, been put on high alert the night before about this unidentified aircraft. There's another aircraft. They spotted another one that seemed to appear to be running, uh, have the running lights of an aircraft that approached Loring Air Force Base from the north at about what they said they had reported about 3,000 feet. So you had another aircraft approaching air in Loring Base, unidentified aircraft coming into the airspace. But this one didn't seem to approach um, Loring as close as the other one. This one seemed to come about three miles away, like a distance of a three miles and seemed to maintain that. And then it was just pretty much observed uh intermittently that for the next hour so where it was going so it's like doing recon or something I, yeah it just kind of or maybe they had already seen all they want to see and they're just like kind of poking around it's well exactly and it's, sure well i'll say the night before kind of garnered a bit of more of a reaction right so whatever this thing <clears> is <throat> is maybe like keep like you said keeping its distance and so those who observed it seem to make of it that the speed and the movement uh, which this object uh, had through the air suggested that this craft was a helicopter. Like a lot of them, a lot of people who observed it said, well, its movement was similar to a, a helicopter. And so from 745 to 820 is what you get most of the reports of the observation of it. So the personnel who were in the storage area and um, it was actually observed electronically by the control tower radar showed this craft to the pretty much the position of about three miles north of the Loring perimeter. Now, one of the more fantastic elements to this story, or probably the most exciting part, is where you had... um, Sergeant Steven Eichner, who was a crew chief for one on one of the B-52 bombers, uh, had been working on a launch truck along with his sergeant, his Sergeant Jones and a couple other members of the crew. Now, they spotted what they identified as a, a red and orange object over the flight line of the base. Now, the flight line is where all the hangars are located on a base and it's pretty much like where all the aircraft are stored on the base and, and kind of, in, you know, in yeah. where you, all where the you weapons, put all the weapons uh, are yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily all the weapons. Cause you, you probably, you store the, the munitions away from the aircraft, but you have all the aircraft. And then behind that, you have like another uh, kind of outer limits. And that's probably the munitions are behind 
that. Right. Dan, when, now, you, when you say launch crap or launch truck, is that just like a mobile like mechanic station or something? Or? Uh, launch truck, uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure. It's probably like, yeah, if they're working from the working out of a launch truck, then it was probably just something that was like, like yeah, they, they're doing all like, like were, were, they would probably do maintenance or stuff like that. Cause that's shit. That's what you do in the military. It's all fucking maintenance. Yeah. So main, maintenance <laughs> you can do actually on the runway and don't have to bring it back to the hangar or something. You can just do it right, right there. Right. That's not true. I've seen the commercials. It's all ass kicking. Basically like a fucking <laughs> thing. Yeah. That's what you want. I kicked, I kicked absolutely zero ass when I was in the Navy. <laughs> Whole whole bunch of zero ass. Uh, when I quickly looked up uh, launch trucks, it looks like the truck that you think. It's like the big truck with a flatbed with like a fucking missile array that like fucking big square box of just like looks like twelve to twenty four missiles on the back. Pretty sure um, I had that GI Joe truck. Yeah. Okay, like the exact same one. Uh, now. Why would they be working on that? That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> Too bad they w weren't done working on it so they could have used it yeah. <laughs> on this fucking UFO. So they spotted this red and orange object and um, they they described it as looking like a stretched out football is the description that they gave. And so, so kind of like Hey Arnold's head. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe like what I'm pointing to right now on the live show. Oh, a little saucer shaped, football shaped craft, perhaps. Yeah, because we all know when you look at a helicopter, you say, I think football right away. That's what I think when I see a helicopter. First thing that comes to my mind. So maybe like, Canadian look, football, yes. I actually go, look at that football-shaped helicopter. I've been known to say that every time I see a helicopter. Mm -hmm. It's funny they say that because that's pretty much like Canadian football is like a fatter, stretched-out American football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost like a rugby so ball. It looks like a Canadian football is, would be yeah. more. Yeah, curious, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. That's more culturally relative. <laughs> so... Uh, I during his crew decide I don't know what the oh, fuck. Oh my it dad, that's we solved it. That's all it was. You had fucking Doug Flutie over there in New Brunswick <laughs> just firing fucking pigskins over them their mountains. And they were Cracked just it. sailing over to Loring. Cracked Case closed. Boom. Nailed yeah. it. Show's over. Ah, done. All right. You know, yeah. you know how, how did we forget about that? The 1975 Great Cup where Flutie yeah. just kept fucking overthrowing the end zone. Oh yeah. By 250 miles. <laughs> God damn, can you, fuck, Doug Flutie. What a beauty that guy is. You know he's Lebanese? Flutie? The more you know. Huh. Yeah, no. he's half Lebanese. Now we know. Just like your boy. So Eichner and his crew get the idea in their head to jump in their, into the truck and then start to drive towards the object. I guess they wanted to figure out what it was or they wanted to get eyes on it. So they proceeded to down the avenue, which bordered the runway, and they turned left onto a road that led towards the weapons storage area. And so as they said as they made that turn, and there's a good kind of, um, uh, there's a dramatization of it and uh, where they came, they said that they came within five feet of this object like or this yeah. object seemed to be about five feet in the air and it was three uh, sorry it was 300 feet in front of them and seemed to be about five feet in the air and hovering without any movement or noise uh, and, th and this is above or right beside like the weapon cache yeah so it'd be like right there probably like they were let's see they turned left onto the road yeah so they turned left onto the road which led there and then so it was on the road leading to the weapons storage like right in front facility. of me like i so, imagine they fucking slammed the brakes and they described an amazing sight right so eigner is quoted as saying the object looked like all the colors 
Yeah. <laughs> no Canadian football. That's what he said. Um, the object looked like all the colors were blending together. So as if you were looking at a desert scene, you see waves of heat rising off the desert floor. This is what I saw. There were these waves in front of the object and all the colors were blending together. The object was solid and we could not hear any noise coming from it. One person, like one, one of the things I read, like claimed that one of the people said that it was like, it was something like lava. It looked like lava. Lava. Like the, like the colors. The light looked like lava? Yeah, like, like that was one of the descriptions, like of like rolling lava over like and stuff. Like a bubbling it, molten lava? Just, it was like, yeah, like a sight you had never seen, can't describe. And who were these people? Were these military people or these people just like bystanders just fucking hanging out? On the base. If it's looking like loud to them, you know they're they're hanging out on a mountain. Listen to cream and just fucking smoking a J. Oh yeah, man, it looks like lava. Dude, this craft was so low to the ground though. If the, if there wasn't ET in it, they could have hopped out, ran it, ran to the weapon cache. They're that five feet off the ground. People wired like they could run to the weapon. Like, what's in this weapon cache? They're going. It's they're they're, they're all play, they're just playing an intergalactic game. They're going there to laugh at our shitty weapons. They're like, look at this. They don't no, even have I, laser I guns they're, yet. They're, they're scanning the underground facilities. Like what, whatever's underground, they're dropping down to get a better scan of the area. So at this point, the Eichner is kind of uh, quoted as saying that the base pretty much fucking flew into high alert. So you had yeah, you know, sirens. You would hope shooting. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You had sirens going off. You had the police vehicles coming down straight down the road. And Eichner probably made the right choice and was like, fuck it, we're out of here. And they booked it. So, well, they because, booked it because they were in a restricted area. Like they're not supposed to be where they followed this thing to. Right. So, 100%. Like, like you don't want to have to fucking explain to your superiors like why you're in an off limits area. So I probably would have done the exact same thing and been like, hey, go, fuck go, it. Go, and go, nobody go. stopped them. They were all, as, you know, as. Is, is warranted that they were all more concerned about this object landing here and appearing above their weapon storage facility of this highly, like, not secret, but is a very strategically important base. And, you know, Eichner and them pretty much just took off and had no problems, like, getting as far away from there as they could. So the object was then observed to shut off its lights and just disappear and then wasn't seen the rest of that night. So again, the 42nd police uh, conducted a security sweep of the entire area, the weapons storage area where they had observed the craft. No results. Uh, radar said that it picked up this object at least one more time. It tracked it heading again towards Grand Falls, New Brunswick, and then lost it uh, at Grand Falls itself. So they, they swept the whole weapons facility. Nothing was tampered with or taken. It was just... Whatever was there Nothing. came, floated, and when the commotion started and all the sirens started screaming, turned off its lights, slipped away, and that was it. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's at least what we have from Eichner. I'm not sure if they have, like, I, I don't think we have, like, direct reports from what the, like, the police forces actually saw, but that's kind of what, uh, that's, that's kind of the bare minimum of what we have, uh, is that this craft just turned off its lights and took off and was gone after that so right. hmm. now incidents are reported around that area and they seem to continue at least through october 30th i'm not they weren't they don't seem to be as dramatic uh as that one 
there's nothing as dramatic as that one in the following days. But you there's did still have sightings. Like, well, you still, still had reports of helicopters or helicopters. I guess you put that in quotes um, yeah. that actually continued into December. Now, some of these uh, were I were again were eventually identified as normal helicopter traffic. Um, but you had a definite distinction drawn between the October sightings and those later reports. So. You had people like Robert Falk, Deputy Chief uh, Deputy Chief Patrol Agent of the U.S. Border Patrol, said that he felt that uh, the like an alleged helicopter report uh, on November 18th was definitely not what they what they titled the Midnight Skulker Skulk. of Flooring is what came to be the you know what they named this this event or this yeah. this craft. Well, that's co- that's common uh, with other UFO encounters is where one happens and then because it's, it gets in the news and stuff, people are now looking and they they might report anything that might be similar. And, and anything and everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, he's quoted <laughs> as saying this craft is too slow and too small to be the craft. They had problems with Lauren. The so skulker. he's definitely saying that this pretty much implying that this thing could not be a helicopter. Like the way that this thing moved, the way that it was able to evade detection, definitely not a helicopter. Hmm. Jinkies, this is definitely the Midnight Skulker. Yeah. What you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Dan, um, hey, Dan, you're definitely the Velma of this podcast. You know that, right? Yeah. You are I'm, 100% the Velma. Well, well, according to some reviews and Facebook posts, uh, yeah, because Velma is He's, thick and I am also thick. Apparently. <laughs> exactly. and, dude, Reese's. you got those glasses? I bet you you'd look sexy as hell in an orange fucking And I can't mic. see. You can rock it. You can rock it, man. Gotta get we gotta get Zell and Ascot, big time. Yeah. Let's do it. Be dope. It's our Halloween. It's a Halloween costume. That's the costume. <laughs> so wait, so it's like, are you Daphne or? I know I'm Braden, Scooby Doo, and I'm Scrappy. Okay, Done. you're, yeah, you're gonna be sense. Scrappy Doo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that checks out. Okay. <laughs> with that, with that trap cut, I mean, you're you're playing the part there. It is what it is. <laughs> so I find it interesting that you had a lot more helicopter stuff there. I These reports of helicopter, like more or increased helicopter activity could possibly be just the military, you know, putting their helicopters out there trying to figure out. I know that uh, according to reports, like the National Guard helicopters were put on at what they call it. They call it like advanced training stance or something like that where they pretty much put them on like constant alert for the next couple of days like if we if they were 100 like 24 7 ready to get in the air if something like this happened again well like it got it, it it was taken seriously enough that like later on they actually had like united states air force helicopters take over and like crew like ready to be just on the go ready to go at the moment's notice if this thing showed back up they were like, hey, listen, fucking Chet Storm or the fucking whatever news team. We got this, buddy. Thanks for fucking participating. You can park your helicopter. We got it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So there's there's definitely records and uh, of requests for people or for the military bases, putting other bases on alert for these craft about what it was. Now, in the official documents, they do say that it's helicopters, but and then a couple of other things, it's like it's just some sort of craft. They don't really, I mean, 
if you're going to put it in an official document, you might as well put helicopter because you don't know what it is. But um, even then, my whole thing is like, perhaps, perhaps it was two crafts because you could even have, you know, maybe it's black helicopters. Maybe it is the black goose, but not the black goose. This might be CIA helicopters like Mm. tracking this thing down. I don't know. Listen, if it was a black goose, you wouldn't have known about it. It's too stealth. Fucking way too stealth. All you would have heard was the honks as your nukes leave the area. That's it. <laughs> um, it. It doesn't like honest. Again, again is uh, this is 1975. Mm-hmm. Not one of these things. There's no reporting of a helicopter noise. But like, oh, it had a distinct. We heard it. You could hear it coming. Like, like, there's no description. All the descriptions are like of no noise. Random. Like, that's not a helicopter. Yeah. Right. That's so not a, yeah. It's 2021. It's 1975. Like, we would know now if there was helicopters that quiet that were completely silent. Yeah, I think even the quietest, well, I guess, like, the quietest helicopters that we know about, probably, like, the Apaches and stuff like that, even those, like, you can hear them coming, but they're very quiet. I mean, they train them to approach from, like, behind hills and stuff like that. You won't know until they're right above you. But if this craft, like, uh, like Sergeant Eichner... Uh, described yeah. that they were 300 feet away from it and they couldn't hear anything. And it from had it. all sorts of blending lights around and it was in a football shape. I'm like, y- you would see rotors. If it's putting off that much light, you would see the fucking rotors. You would see yeah. helicopter esque like descriptions of it. And you get none of that. Just at that distance, like the wind disturbance, like the sound would be so loud, no matter how advanced the blades were or like how aerodynamic it was, there's no chance it would make zero sound. It'd be, right. It would make sense if, like, yeah, it came from a hill. You couldn't hear it over the hill because it flew low enough and the sound waves bounced off the hill and backwards, but then you could just barely hear it when it came over. Sure. But if you're going to watch this thing for a while and it's going to be hovering 300 feet above the ground or 100 feet, 150 feet above the ground and no rotor wash, it just seems yeah. crazy. Yeah, and the thing was so that this, that that it not only involved the United States military, but... Canada as well, not just the uh, Canadian Border Patrol, but also military. Uh, well, the RCMP was yeah. involved because there were confidential reports that the object was spotted over Grand Falls, New Brunswick, each time that it was seen at Loring. So it was either coming down from Canada to Loring or coming from Loring up to Canada, depending on the night. But they seen it simultaneous at the same like same night. Right, and so. Uh, RCMP Superintendent G.E. Reed at the time uh, said that uh, when he was asked about like how the object was detected, how they saw it, he just said, you know, quoted as saying like he would just like to leave it as it is. Hey, listen, <laughs> we saw some way she goes, boys. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's all Don't good. Don't know what it was. It how you doing? Keep it moving, pal. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Hey, how are you? And apparently, yeah. And apparently they went as far as the RCMP to have an investigation of the Grand Falls incident and but no details were ever released. So, oh. you know, you guys holding out on us or what? No, Grand well, Falls. Do you was, need any more evi- evidence that it's the fucking black gooser or what? Hey, that's pretty Grand much Falls it right was there. trying to cash in on their own Charlie Red Star is what was happening here. It's true. That's dude. Listen, that's big money. All the merch. Think about it. Oh, yeah, that's that's Charlie Blue Star going for a beer run, boys. He's over here (laughs) to New Brunswick, putting it on the map. What year was was Red Star? I forgot. Charlie Red Star? Good question. I don't remember. But again, it was, again, bouncing from Canada into uh, 
areas where there was potentially uh, nuclear 75. Facilities. 75. Was it 75? Look at that. It was fucking 75. Bada bing, bada boom, bingo, bango, so, bongo. So Solid. potentially, maybe this is just Charlie Red Star moving out east. A little farther east. Oh. oh. Well, we talked about in Charlie Red Star that that craft also might have been interested in other, because there was at least, we talked about at least one like nuclear, like strategic nuclear base that was located out there or uh, I think yeah, it was I can't remember. There was one in the states, just up in Minnesota right. or something. Just both. Hashtag re-listen to that one. Yeah, re-listen yeah. to Charlie Red <laughs> a good Star. One. <laughs> that was a fucking good one. It's fun, fun case. Yeah, but yeah. the best name they could come up with was the Midnight Skulker of Loring, which is why it fucking. Well, that's what the Americans called it. We call it fucking Charlie Blue Star. Charlie Blue Star. It's all good. But the the Midnight yeah. Skulker. That's a Charlie Blue. That's a great band yeah. name. Bleh. Charlie Blue. Charlie Blue. Charlie Unble. Charlie Charlie Blue. Charlie Blue. Come on again. Charlie Blue. Tabernacle. Look at this. So this event was actually so uh, fantastic that the New York Times actually reported on these. You can go back into the New York Times archives and read about it. And they had a pretty good article from 1979 uh, titled The UFO, UFO Fidel. UFO files, the untold story and talked about this and that even, um, even despite the fact that the joint chiefs of staff received multiple briefings of the incursion. So joint chiefs of staff being like the highest military officials in the United States. So highest generals of all the, of all the armed forces. <gasps> Higher uh, than the Jimmersons? Mm, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, the Jimmersons were the joint chiefs of staff. It's the gym. It's the gym chiefs of staff. Actually, it was unconfirmed reports. It's the that gymers of staff. One of the gyms had a stroke at the end of this incident. <laughs> it's stroke. It's fought. Unconfirmed. Took a dark turn here. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he almost looked like he was about to earlier. And so, yeah, that's true. <laughs> guy definitely had an aneurysm. <laughs> And it's Maybe and it said that subsequent investigations by the Air Force into the sightings uh, that uh, occurred at Loring Air Force Base uh, were a remark were just a remarkable series of events, and but did not reveal they the investigation never revealed a cause for the sightings, which we're gonna reveal here. <laughs> Hold on to your butts, here it comes. Um. But you you did I've have got, people later. I've got it all written down here on my Hillroy <laughs> exercise book. Is that what answers. you got in your other hand? Hey, what do you got in your other hand, buddy? Oh Drink yeah, me. right. Oh look at that. Was that a Hillroy thirty-two page notebook you just held up there? Th that was that's fucking a, Canadian uh, staple. That's a, that's a beauty yes. right there. <laughs> the Hillroy thirty-two page notebook is part of Canadians' heritage. Brought to you by the government of Canada. Yeah. God, those things gave me PTSD, man. I'm not even know those things. That's how I learned that we made basketball in Canada. It's true. Remember, remember those idiots, and they would just keep putting the fucking bat. The, they climb a ladder to pull the ball into the basket, and then the one guy's like, "The guy's like, what if we put a hole in it? <laughs> what if we pull a hole what in if it? What if we put eh? a hole in it? That's genius." <laughs> the one that po there, I remember the most is like. I smell burnt toast. That's the one that's always in my brain. I don't remember which that was one. the burnt toast one. What the lady with her like doing open brain surgery on her, and she's like, "I smell burnt toast." That was a Canadian heritage moment. We discovered. Are you serious? I forgot that I, one. No, the one that sticks out in my head is the basketball one. Oh wow! 
boys. Mm, I have to, I'll have to go re-listen re to the all the Canadian heritage moments after this case Dude, file. Look it or up. The, or fucking... the guy who discovers the telephone when he's putting the thing and he he so rings Alexander it for the Graham first time. Bell? Yeah, Graham Bell. And he's like, "Hello, Mr. Bell." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that one too. Da yeah. Dan's in the dark, but he's gonna soon immerse himself in all that is as Canadian heritage moments, and it's gonna yeah. educate him, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's me up to date, <laughs> up to date in my my Canadian cultural heritage. It's a requirement well, you get for the on show. If you ever want to be a Canadian citizen, yeah, you know that's the test. That's is part of the test. Ask you, have you watched all fifty eight chapters of the Canadian Heritage Moments? <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, Hal so, Johnson had a a mullet, b glasses, c mustache, or d short shorts. Difficult question. Dif that, that is, is a difficult question. Wait a second. Is there not a fucking answer that's both C and D? E, all of the all above. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have a molly, did he? I'm uh, sure at one, at one time, at one time he, he had a molly. He did. He, he had, had to have a molly. No, he never had a molly. It wasn't no. a legit molly. I think no, Joanne McLeod had a molly, though. She yeah. definitely, dude. I think she might have had a molly. Listen, yeah. Joanne McLeod, babe. Babe. She's a babe. Hey, hey, boys. Let's let's bring it back to this one. We'll we'll get into how we'll get, sexy Joanne McLeod was in, in after hours. hours. Hey, listen. We'll have fit. We'll be fit and have fun later. Yep. But we'll yeah. get back so to this, this case. This file, UFO okay? was so um, uh, it was actually like ingrained in Loring Air Force Base kind of culture. Like military bases have their own kind of like weird little cultures. That different ones kind of differ. But this one actually became part of Loring's. Uh, like reputation. So you had people like Michael Wallace, who is a former KC-135 uh, tanker pilot who actually was stationed in Loring in 1975. And so Wallace reported that he and at least a few hundred other personnel were informed of this silent, luminous object that had been hovering over the base and apparently had the ability to move very quickly and unconventionally in rapid straight line movements also with and vertical movements it could probably and apparently turn without any apparent radius in its turn and seem to possess some kind of incredible technology so the base personnel were actually briefed on this object and it apparently was openly referred to as a ufo by base personnel and i know there's uh there's a couple of other things that like I, i'm not sure if it's wallace but people on the base were actually told not to talk about it to media not to talk about it with anyone except like at, you know your higher ups in your chain of command like they they were told definitely like shut up don't talk about it <laughs> like it's well, just dude it's just there <laughs> okay so we got we got to talk, talk about michael wallace because he was actually involved he was there was actually three of these tanker flights that were returning from uh, like a like a training mission like an air to air refuel Mm -hmm. So three of them, and one of them got turned back to the base, and one was sent after the UFO, I guess, on the return mission, and he tunes in. So he actually gives interviews, and he gives an interview of, like, what he witnessed on the, like, the air-to-air, -air, like, radio, of like right. through, for, through air traffic control and, like, the returning craft. Right. He was not, not the one, not the craft who actually chased the UFO, but what he says in the end is pretty much that the the one craft went to one craft one craft was like sent out to go after it pretty much and after all the event and he witnessed he witnessed on the radio all the 
all the chatter and stuff. He could tell people were being frantic and he could tell something was going on. And then at, at, like at, on any after mission briefing, the craft that went after the UFO was not at the briefing. And then later, a couple of weeks later, he ran into the pilot and the pilot said, when he asked like, well, what happened that night? The other pilot and who Wallace never gives the name of said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you and I can't tell you anyway. But pretty much he gives interviews. So I'm going to play a, a short little clip of Michael Wallace describing what, how the air traffic control was that night. So let's, uh, let's play it right now. Here we go. During uh, tower channel frequency communications that are really exciting. Um, I've heard some combat uh, radio uh, discussions during, during some bomb strikes with the F-4. So... You know, I can recognize a little stress in the voices, and, and that was definitely stress in these voices. I wouldn't call it panicked, but it was, and it was bordering on frantic as they're talking about, um, did you see it? Where is it now? Which way did it go? Oh, my God, there it goes. And and it's down on this end of the runway. It's over the over East Loring. No, it's, it's back over the uh, alert bombers. Um, and that kind of communication back and forth, quite a few different people talking on the tower frequency. Um, I don't believe I could hear um, the tankers, crew members uh, chiming in. I'm not sure I would have recognized them. Maybe maybe I would have. I do know that uh, when the tankers at elevation, with KC-135 is at elevation, uh, the uh, radar, forward-looking radar, has like 240-mile range. I'm not sure what it is. It's substantially reduced at, at ground level, and they were flying in really, really low, I believe. So the fact that they lost radar contact with the UFO in almost an instant is remarkable in itself. So he's talking about them talking about losing this craft on radar in almost an instant so depending how high they were off the ground, like he's, he's like at altitude, you have like a 200 plus mile range. It's um, significantly reduced closer to the ground. But e even if it was only 20 miles, it seemed to disappear like the radio, like the radio signature almost instantaneously. So it's like it teleported across the sky is pretty much what he's saying. And you can find his interview, just search Michael Wallace, Loring Air Force Base interview, and it's about 15 minutes yeah, long. It's a it's a good interview. It is the best part of that too. Is like at the beginning of that uh, that what do you want to like the debrief. My favorite part was he's just like, if you don't have this little this level of clearance, kick rocks. Yeah, leave. Yeah, because this is fucking this is for the best of the best of the best. If you're not the best of the best of the best, beat it. If you don't have top top secret clearance, you're out of the room. He's like, a couple people got up, but the rest of us were pretty badass. Not me. Yeah, we're all fucking badass I'm, here. I'm big dick swinging. I got it all, so it's all good. I got to listen to the whole story. No big deal. But yeah, he was he was in there. He witnessed all the air traffic uh, communication, and he's like, the first plane that went back was the one who was chasing the UFO. So it wasn't him. He's going uh, secondhand account, but. Sounds like, I mean, it wasn't just if, if they scrambled all, like all the personnel and like, you know, all the sirens are rolling. Like this was a, it seemed like a threat. And then these guys see it on the way back. And as they go through the debrief, the one pilot who actually seen the UFO and like encountered it wasn't in the main group debrief, according to Wallace. And then later on, he's like, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. This is pretty fucking cool one, man. 
It was good. It's a good one. But you definitely saw something that was shook. And like he said, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily panic, but it's probably just something like Whoa. I mean, you're you're probably not gonna panic unless your 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 aircraft starts flashing like the fucking missile lock, but if this thing is just like bouncing around on radar and it's just and if you do observe it in your own eyes, just seeing it moving quick and fast faster than anything you've seen before, yeah, you're what? gonna be shook. Well, even just the fact that shit's going down, like something to do, like these guys are itching. They're all sitting around this Air Force Base. They got like, how much action are they getting at this place? Let's be honest. And then well, suddenly it's like, let's fucking go. And they're at Sirens a are th- that holds going, like, like the deadliest weapon we've ever created. Yeah. Dude. 100%. I'd be shit in my pants for sure. Yeah, but that's that's pretty much the end of it. So you had a couple more sightings of these things, but nothing as dramatic as that night of uh, October 28th. And then that's pretty much the end of that one, as far as we know. I mean, they have the official documents from like requesting the the support from the other uh, other military facilities in the area, like like tri-state area, pretty much uh, trying to find this thing. But other than that, like this pretty much like falls off. Now, uh, we talked about, the question at the beginning about you know the seemingly correlation of ufos uh in relation to nuclear facilities i mean like brayden said you have uh ufos appearing over uh nuclear weapon test sites as early as like 1948 you had these uh green fireballs that reported in the skies over los alamos uh, in New Mexico, where the atomic bomb was first developed and tested. Um, and even uh, apparently there's FBI documents, which we'll probably have to look into later, uh, that mentioned flying saucers in the 1950s. Uh, you had the Malmstrom Air Force Base event in 1967, uh, where it, the Air Force Base in Montana was monitoring uh, a launch control center which had 10 nuclear Minuteman missiles and I think we've mentioned this one and we haven't but we haven't like gone we haven't deep gone into deep, it no right and this was where they had um a loss of communication that these missiles began going into uh what is known as a no-go mode unlaunchable and yeah, they which, couldn't which which means that like if that shit went down in that moment those nukes could not be fired right if they got the call from the president, they could not be launched at that time. That's fucking then, crazy. Right. And and um, you had people like Robert Salas, who was there, who was stationed there, and his crew, they were apparently uh, told to keep quiet about it. Uh, they wanted him to sign papers saying that, we, that they'd never talk about it and swear that we wouldn't talk about it to our wives or any other airmen or the base or nobody, or they would go like straight to Fort Leavenworth, straight to military prison. <laughs> Yeah, the, pretty much. The, Mal- the Malmstrom Air Force Base or uh, Air Force Base event is something people have asked about. So I'm not sure if we'll do it on a regular case file or a confidential, but we will get to it eventually because they actually. Is there enough? Maybe we should pair we with this not, one as a confidential. We haven't talked about it. We've we've briefly mentioned we've mentioned it because it always yeah. pops up. Well, it's always because it's a pretty dramatic thing. Like I recognize pretty, the name. And well, people always say like, it, "Oh, that's the one. That's the event where they like." they pretty much rendered our nuclear capacity moot in that one base. They said like these, these missiles are not launchable and no one could really understand why, because at that time, like that's all analog tech. There's not, a, I mean, there is radio signal and stuff, but 
so to, for them to do it, it just seemed so weird. Like, oh, these missiles are now unlaunchable. They're like, they cannot be used. Like, yeah. mm. um, now let's get into final thoughts on Loring. What happened at Loring? What, Zell, what do you think? I mean, if it caused that much of a stir where the, the whole base was up in arms, there's actually like, if you go looking through the case, was the National Military Command Center has like, the thing is like, it's 40 pages long, like through all those uh, freedom of information requests. It has the first one and then it has an updated one and up and it keeps updating, updating. Like this was a big event. And it's crazy that for me, the reason that we haven't really heard about it makes me think this is one of the more important ones in the UFO, like UFOlogy because it's like it was so it was so well documented by the military and all the radio transmissions and stuff. Like if this one had if this was something to it and they were I'm not saying they're after the nuclear missiles, but they're at a nuclear they're at a nuclear facility and no one's really heard about it. It's not like like Roswell was the okay, yeah, Roswell something crashed. We heard about it. It was maybe a cover up or whatever. You everyone hears about Roswell, but this one I feel it has more credibility. It has like all the documents, interviews, and radios, like uh, you know, radar signatures, and no one's ever yeah. really heard about this one. You're like, mm. so I, I don't know what I don't know what it was, but I think people I think because the official explanation is helicopter, people don't look past or into the details more. Um, my thoughts on it. I mean, one of the leading theories that I read was that it was some sort of sophisticated drug runners uh, helicopter. And I'm like, that <laughs> over the is military ludicrous. I'm like, you're flying your drug running helicopter over top of a nuclear base. Like, are you, get the fuck out of here. I was like, one, I have a problem with that of any sophisticated operation is definitely going to steer clear of a no fly zone, especially a military fucking base. Uh, secondly, again, the no, the, Everyone describes no noise, and helicopters make noise. I can't get past that point. Helicopters just make noise. Uh, I watched the movie Blow. They yeah. didn't have that type of fucking capabilities of it's, being silent. Let's be honest. It's very concerning to me, though, that you know they're having issues at this nuclear base, and they're struggling to get help uh, at the beginning. Very yeah. concerning to me. Um, it's but interesting. It, but it goes back to like these things. It's coming. I think at first, it like you know, kind of like I touched on. It came. It was mimicking our lights, our light patterns that it sees in the sky. It came down. It came close, and we spotted it. And that was probably to like their chagrin. They were like, "Oh shit!" Like, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we're like these things are a little smarter than we thought. Uh, so it comes back the next day does it scans and then it fucks off. I think uh I think after those first two days or first two or three days, I think any other sightings after that are just people the excitement and hysteria, hysteria. kind of running wild. But I think those first three days, uh something otherworldly was visiting there strictly because they have nuclear capabilities at that site. I got I got one question about this. So Drug runners, or are they smuggling drugs to Canada? Everyone knows the best way to smuggle drugs to Canada from Maine is through a, a fucking train, through a pipe over the river. You, you, you ship over, Dude. you ship over smokes. They ship back a little bit of cash. 
Let's see. We know there's some fucking sweet ass Swayze Express uh, Al Capone fucking tunnels they got under there, man. Fucking ship it on the Swayze Express, bud. Yeah, Yeah, most powerful uh, locomotive. Model model train locomotive. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? What are your thoughts on the Lauren case? Big thing that jumps out for me is the timing. And the timing, Cold War. Mm. Makes me think Russians. Kind of goes goes back to maybe potentially that, uh, op, you know, like when we get to Operation Paperclip where, you know, a certain amount of scientists were taken by the Americans and a certain amount were taken by the Russians. Okay, Maybe the Russians got some, some tech that nobody knew about some silent fucking aircraft type shit. Sure. Hold on one second. And Dan, what's the name of the Russian operation? Which one? Uh, Osavikim. Mm. Osavikim. Osavikim. That, so, that should be just as known. <laughs> yeah. So I, Osavikim as opposed to a paperclip. Mm. And you know what I mean? It, that's what makes me kind of lean towards that. Cause who else would want to know what the United States are up to? That's a good point. And then man. you'd like to think potentially, right? They've been wanting to fucking come in through Alaska for how long now? Like how many, how long have we been hearing about those rumors of the Russians invading through Alaska? Maybe that's where they came from. And then they tried to escape through New New Brunswick back to Alaska. Right across the whole country. Well, and and you got to think like, I like that theory because uh, if you think about Charlie Red Star shooting through, what was it, Saskatchewan or Manitoba? Manitoba. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing in Manitoba. So it's like if you were to fly over Canada and then fly straight down through Manitoba, there's there's nothing that's going to stop you from you know north till you hit the border. Americans are going to pick you up at the border coming in, and they're going to freak out by the time you're already back into Canada. As we know, there's jurisdictional issues. So if you're in and then pop back out right away in Canada, you're over Manitoba. No one's the wiser. Honestly, I believe that, especially in that time. So same thing, same thing with this case. Like I, I, that I do believe that could be a very good possibility is that the Russians have some sort of advanced craft flying, flying from the North over Eastern Canada, which is not super populated. Check out this air force base and peace out. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Yeah. If it were Soviet crafted, they'd have to be super ballsy. Like it would be, uh, I would get on that train except for the reports that this thing was moving in ways that people didn't perceive that, or, you know, they didn't believe a helicopter had the capability to move uh, where they would launch that helicopter. I know they taught, I, they, there were reports of talking to RCMP and people in the area of New Brunswick and stuff. Like there's no way, to, there's no place to launch a helicopter. Like where would you launch and land a helicopter in that area in order to think, cause I don't think it would have that, Longer range if it were some mm. tiny helicopter, probably like not were like a really like a relatively small helicopter. I don't think it would have that long a range. Like you'd have to get it in and get it out as fast as possible, which could account for like why these craft didn't stay there for very long. But it's also kind of like it's 1975. Like they have satellites. Like it's not. I don't, I don't know why you would send a helicopter in there for some some crazy thing. Um, what was I don't know about drug hunter, drug runners, maybe maple syrup. Barrel rollers. Back there. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting case because there is so much, there is documentation to, to back it up. There are reports that the, the military members like seeing something, especially Eichner's account of this thing landing right in front of the weapon storage facility. 
there his detailed description of this thing it doesn't sound like anything it doesn't sound like it. even if a helicopter were, were pointing like a spotlight straight at your face you'd still hear it just the fact that there's no sound like there's no helicopter that there's no aircraft that's going to make no sound mm-hmm. uh, and hover there and then just shut its life lights off and and take off it's it's just a really intriguing case and a lot of this stuff is like i i'm surprised that it doesn't have more publicity the fact that this is one of the you know it's it's published in the new york times it's uh um i i know i found out about this one the first time i found out about it was in a like a newsweek article of like the most reliable uh or credible ufo sightings was this one because it was just seen so many times but the fact that you know Wallace also reported that perhaps they really did see something that one of those uh, tanker flyers, one of the tanker pilots actually saw something and they're just like, it's classified and we'll just we'll never, never see the light of day at this point. <laughs> or they didn't write anything down. They got, you know, they learned their lesson with the other ones. They're just like, we're not going to write anything down. Fuck it. Yeah. It's a cool one. It's a, it's a really yeah. cool case. Super neat. Hmm. Um, hashtag look it up loring air force base ufo lots of good info lots of um good stuff on it uh why don't we fire up the randomatron see what it's gonna spit out all right let's do it dialing up say what does it say it says we got a little words space news well if you were lucky enough to be looking up if you kept if you if you did what we say to do at the end of every single fucking episode (laughs) on march 25th if you were in the pacific northwest you would have caught quite the show. Uh, social media was a buzz with a spectacular light show uh, in the sky. You know, it looked like a, some falling object or a, an asteroid or a series of UFOs. Uh, Twitter was going a buzz. Social media was going a buzz with this incredible light show over the U.S. Pacific Northwest. Um, but it turns out there is a good explanation for uh, the debris that was seen, and that is uh, the SpaceX. Falcon 9 rocket second stage uh, coming back down to Earth. It looked um, fucking, it looked like a breaking apart like Comet or something. Dude, yeah, I was, was rattled. It was wild. I put that in our group chat and nobody said anything. And I was like, we're getting intact. Yeah. This is fucked. Fucking aliens are shooting down. <laughs> it looked just like, Have you? has anyone seen, uh, what's that new Gerard Butler one? Greenland or mm, where the Greenland on Amazon. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I watched yeah. it, and that's what that's what the yeah. that's what it looks like. The fragmenting comet, like it looked. That's what it looked like at an initial glance. I was like, "We're fucked." Scary. Yeah. It's fucking scary, man. So it was just a breaking apart stage two of the rocket. It burned for like thirty seconds or something, and then just kind of fizzled out. But it looked fucking crazy. If you didn't see it, yeah, it was um, spectacular. Hashtag look it up. You can type in March twenty fifth. Uh, SpaceX debris. Um, and if you saw it live, let us know. Message us. If you got some home footage of it, send it Send it in our way. It was visible. What else do we got here? Uh, we got a lunar arc could safeguard millions of species of DNA on the moon. In the moon. Um, in the moon. On the moon. 
Uh, so basically what they're talking about is making some sort of, um, yeah, what it sounds like, some Noah's Ark type shit of preserving sperm, eggs, seeds of million of Earth species in one of the moon's lava tubes. So if Earth uh, ever, in, or if life ever ended on Earth, um, potentially alien races could find a little, you know, life capsule, if you will, of everything that was on Earth. And are they going to be confused when none of it grows on the moon? <laughs> well, you can't you can't grow it without the right tech, but it's going to be take two hundred and fifty rocket launches. It's going to be stored in a lava tube. It's going to be cryogenically preserved through solar panel to like run the freezers. So I guess if we die out, this thing will live for a while till. Uh, may, uh, hey, maybe the ETs already know, and we are doing this for them, and they can take our DNA and pass it on to a different planet. Or it's our DNA from the future, depending on what type of ET theory you you go with. <laughs> or it's our DNA from the past. Or from the past, depending on which timeline we're on. Or it's from the seventh dimension, twice removed. A quick given plot points to fast or to the future. Yeah, fast to the future. <laughs> yeah. Or it's on Earth too which is on the opposite side of the sun. Is there any plans for this? This is just a hypothetical. As far as I know, it's like a hypothetical thing that we could possibly do. I, I mean, it may make more sense to preserve it on earth. And like, we have like those, uh, we have the seed bank, the seed bank and stuff. Like, what's that like Finland or something like way up North it's like Norway or something. Norway. Yeah. yeah that, way up. that one's fucked too, because the climate change is all fucking it up too. I understand that. Hey, too. listen, man, seed banks are a monster. Some guys. All right. Listen, I've been fucking using one of those before I got my real job. <laughs> Paid my bills. Hmm. I don't believe you because you have to be six feet tall. Oh, you don't. you don't get. Oh, no. They looked at. Listen, they looked at this. Were you wearing platform? Were you wearing lists they when you went ha- in there? They, they look at the hazels. You were wearing lists like, when you went in there. I understand that you're five, seven and three quarters. I know that you're kind of balding, but hey, your hand. Hey, like, I'll fudge <laughs> the paperwork for you. Yeah. They don't pay. As long as you can fill the cup, which I can. They, take they don't pay for. Uh, <laughs> they don't pay for sperm in Canada. That's illegal. They paid him. They paid. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're like, listen, we want that. They took one look at him and they're we like, oh, we're paying this guy. Well, oh, I went straight in the trash. We need that. <laughs> like, okay. Nope. Yeah. Um, no big deal. This one was interesting. Microbes unknown to science discovered on the International Space Station. Um, researchers from United States and India working with NASA have now discovered four strains of bacteria living in different places in the ISS three of which were, until now, completely unknown to science. This is insane. Like, is this this completely alien bacteria growing on a habitat of the ISS? Is this how we get the symbiote suits, or how's this? I think this is how the beginning of Alien starts. (laughs) (laughs) Starts with the microbes, turns into a face hugger. uh, Gyllenhaal, right? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, pretty interesting stuff though. Like, like I said, I, I, I imagine that, you know, because of what we're doing on there and, um, the certain areas that like life's not rare when life's around, do you know what I mean? Like it's like, we have plants on there, we have soil on there. It's in a different environment than on earth. Uh, you know, you have different people coming up, breathing on it, fucking sweating. You have different, you know, all sorts of bacteria, coagulating on this weird ship so i'm like is it is it absolutely strange to me that there's some unknown life growing there that's no because it's unlike life anywhere else on earth so it's like 
Does it make sense to me that there's some sort of bacteria that's maybe adapted for life on the ISS? No. Fucking Jeff Goldblum has said it long before. Life will find a way. Listen, if there's if you want to give me something from Planet Clintar, give it to me. I'll take that symbiote right now. Yeah. I'm all about hey, it. This could be how it, how it is. If you're interested in the names of these microbes, it's uh, IF7SW-BT-B2T or IAF1SW-B5. Oh, you're giving out my postal code here, Zell. Settle and down. IAF4SW-B5. Don't the symbionts technically eat you? Yeah. Slowly. Yeah, kind of. Unless you make friends with unless, them. Unless you... Unless you grow unless you grow out like venom. <laughs> unless you yeah. eat a lot of chocolate instead it's, of eating people's. As long brains. as it's a mutual a mutually beneficial situation, you know. All right, you both hate Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's fair. Got it. That's all. That's all I had for I space news. I don't know you guys uh, got yeah. anything else. Nope. But the randomatron spitting out something else. Oh, it's not good. Mongoose file, baby. I still he hear. Won't, won't you, you sit on my face? Won't yeah, you shit on a, my face? Won't oh, you, no, it's you won't shit you on my face. Shit on my sleeve. On sleeve. Oh, I thought you shit on my face. Wording. That being said, I don't wear sleeves. My sleeves are high. When I, when I, my anyway, or my friend of my friends. Yes. Anyways, I got a, I got a disclaimer on this one. Oh, we're off to. Oh. Randomatron's trying like, to kick back on I'm, there like a fucking idiot. Probably a good idea. <laughs> it's a, it's attained sentience. It's a probably a good idea. Shut it down. I am fucking inebriated right no, now. No, you're so you're this good. Is not going to be great. You're fine. It's not going to be good. I've been having gin slide across the floor, at, uh, like five of them. Perfect. During this, at and least five you can for me, see them now. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? I prefer the dark. I was born in it. More born in the dark. A little bit. Molded Mark. You merely adopted you. the dark. Yeah, he did. That's why he got his back broken. Little bitch. Anyways. All right. As we start these things, as we know, happened to a friend of a friend of mine. But it's easier when I tell the story to, you know, say it like it's first of person. Of course. But it definitely didn't happen. Obviously didn't happen. Mm -mm. So we need context on this one right off the bat. So in our friend of a friend's uh, profession, we have something called a frequent flyer, uh, which anybody that works this certain professor knows exactly what that is. It's somebody that you see routinely. Somebody that, you know what I mean? Like the call will come in and like prepare for a fucking ridiculous amount of, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just not going to be We're always ready. So frequent flyer is somebody that, you know, when the call comes in, you see the age, you get a little brief blip you don't get a name or anything like that but you get a little description and when you read that description you're like i know exactly who that person is that person is frequent flyer this individual we're gonna throw out the name jessica jessica's the name okay. so jessica unfortunately suffers from a type of like disassociative personality disorder with like split personality is what it used to be called so so sometimes you'd run into Jessica. When you'd run into Jessica, Jessica would explain to you. She would tell you that 
I'm possessed by a demon. Mm. This demon's name is Lucy. Okay. This demon is the Antichrist. Name and Lucy. does nothing, nothing but evil. Wants to hurt people. Wants to cause bad. And she needs to be stopped. And now, when you talk to Jessica, Jessica's a lovely person. You know, nice, young, you know, person that just, you just, you want to help. And you hear her, and you can hear this inner struggle because Lucy is awful. And she tells you, she's like, Lucy is the absolute antichrist and she needs to be stopped. Okay. And Jessica has made it out in her head, unfortunately, that the only way to stop Lucy is by taking her own life. Jessica needs to unfortunately commit suicide to take her life. So throughout the, you know, I want to say four to five years of our friend of a friend's uh, career and his co-workers and everybody in this certain city have run into, you know, either Lucy or Jessica. And when they run into Jessica, it's normally to intervene in her taking her own life. Or you run into Lucy and it's take, her causing some type, some sort of trying to take some violent else's. crime. <laughs> exactly, right? So on certain occasions, like when you run it when you run into Jessica, you know, unfortunately you've like the first time our friend of a friend ran into Jessica, it was to run into a room and find Jessica hanging from her closet and like ran up, grabbed her legs, hiked her up to stop her from uh, strangling herself. And then you run into Lucy and Lucy's in a convenience store throwing punches at randoms and smashing things and just causing absolute chaos. So our friend of a friend is at work. I want to say it's, you know, early in the morning, 1231 o'clock call comes in. Uh, call was generated by the RCMP. Uh, 37 year old female uh, assaulting random uh, bystanders on a certain block of a certain city. And you read that and you're like, hmm, sounds like Lucy. Mm. So this call kind of dispatched you to go to the RCMP cells. Uh, arrived to the cells, pretty standard. You get greeted by an RCMP officer and they're like, hey, we have Lucy here. Guards, I'm sorry, we have Jessica. Uh, we caught her at this situation when we first ran into her. Uh, she was saying her name was Lucy, which is super weird. I'm not sure why. We don't know what she's suffering. You know, maybe she's suffering from some type of mental health situation. Uh, so we called EHS to come intervene, take her to the hospital. And right away, I'm like, okay. I'm like, again, did she refer to herself as Jessica or Lucy? They're like, initially, it was Lucy, and now she's saying her name's Jessica. And I'm like, okay, where is she? And is she being monitored? She's like, hey, listen, like before, you know, we were going to the hospital. She she kind of kind of turned her turned her emotions down, was super compliant, super nice. You know, so we we let her use the bathroom before she came like she was ready to go. And I'm like, mm. wait a fucking second. I'm like, you know, where is she right now? Is she being monitored? What's happening? And I'm talking like when you run into Jessica I've seen her in every situation other than taking a fucking radio into the bathtub with her. Okay, so I'm like, where is she? Is she being monitored right now? Well, she's just down the hall. We kind of, we took off her restraints. She's using the bathroom. And I'm like, 
Send a female officer with me right now. We need to go into the bathroom. She needs to be monitored. So female officer busts into the bathroom and all I hear is we need EHS now, 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 now. And I'm talking like if <laughs> Jessica would utilize the toilet bowl to drown herself if she could. Uh. Okay. Like we're talking any like extremely resourceful, any which means she could do to do this, which is absolutely awful. So they yell for EHS. Our friend of a friend is EHS. He comes sprinting into the bathroom stall to find Jessica. Uh, luckily, the RCMP officer intervened very quickly. It was night perfect timing. Jessica had taken a razor blade and superficially lacerated her entire throat. Now, like, do you know what superficial means? It's not like in not life, deep. not threatening. Not deep enough. So just skin deep, which was super bizarre because our friend of friend has never seen anything like that before. So just the skin had sloughed off of her throat and you could see all her vasculature, everything. Ugh. It was the most bizarre thing. You ever, barely any blood too, which is super bizarre. So... You could sit there and you could see everything, all her veins, carotid, everything. We're on display, intervened, direct pressure, everything's going to be okay. Took her to the hospital. Ended up getting stitched up. At this point in time, our friend of a friend is working in kind of like a rural, rural area, right? So this hospital, they're like, okay, listen, the next major hospital is an hour away. The best thing we can do is stitch her up now and you can take her. So this doctor at the small town emergency room on call stitched her up. And then our friend of a friend is going to take her to the major city center. And at this point in time, we're talking to Jessica. Jessica is very compliant, very remorseful, just trying to do the world a favor because she knows that Lucy's evil. Lucy is terrible mm. and she's genuinely trying to do what she believes is good to this world, which is extremely sad. And you're talking to her and she's kind of looking around, looking around. And I'm like, Jess, Jessica, you got to keep your head still. You got to keep it relaxed. You got these fresh sutures, everything. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And she looks over to me. And as she looks over to me, one of the stitches bursts. <sighs> and an arterial bleed starts spurting. Nice, beautiful, bright red blood. That was superficial. Our Turns out. That this small town emerge doc nicked the carotid artery he while he was stitching while he's her up. Stitching. Our friend of a friend had to drive for 45 minutes with a pinched carotid all the way to the emergency room. So in that situation, you actually have to finger pinch it. Pinch? That's the, your only option unless the person's going to bleed out. Finger pinch, 45 Ugh. minutes, going over bumps through a crappy rural highway. Not easy. And the most bizarre part about that is the next day, our friend of a friend came to that same emergency room to see Jessica doing somewhat well, but suffering from something that we call subcutaneous emphysema, which means the air is trapped subcutaneously underneath the skin. Oh. Yeah. And she had these air pockets all over her face and neck. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. God damn. And super random, super... And talk to our friend of a friend. Um, on a lighter note, 
Jessica, actually, it's been about three years and she's had zero contact with Lucy. Huh. So, yeah. Oh, a little Pretty happy, cool. happy, happy ending, ending to a, to a fucked up story. They don't, they don't usually end happy, but yeah. Sometimes they do, um, and we appreciate it when they do. We got a we got a theory right of the week. Yeah. Yes, we, we did do. have a theory right of the week. No, we do, we do, we do. I believe it's. Uh, it's Javier Jimenez. That, that's that the right? one. Yeah. For his absolute okay, so our social media has actually become a BJ Cheeks fucking meme factory meme throwdown. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been completely consumed. I was getting and, roasted pretty good last week. And Javier actually posted probably the best meme out of the bunch. It was a uh, BJ Cheeks uh, his running outfit for the fucking uh, running <laughs> challenge. Yeah. It's too sexy. Too so sexy. We, can't, to we can't show it. Go. You're gonna have to go to her Facebook group to find it. Um, maybe we'll uh, pin it. Uh, basically, it's uh, basically a me lookalike in some mesh shorts. Some uh, that thick don't leave thighs. much to the imagination. It's pretty thick funny. thighs, thick glutes. Sounds We're exactly ready for the yeah. running challenge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good show. <sighs> You can congratulations. Fi- congratulations, Javier Jimenez. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of, because, you know. You can find all that stuff on our Facebook page. You search for Alien Theorist Theorizing. There's only one group. You can't miss it. Or you can just click the link tree description in the podcast and podcast show notes, and you can't miss it. All right. Last thing of the night. If you're not supporting the show already on Patreon... Head over to patreon.com slash alien theorist podcast. Or again, just check the link tree in the description. It's much easier. This week's newest Patreon supporters are Scott LePage. All capitals, Ryan. Great name, by the way. Kim C. Shehan Fernando. Chris from Denver. This guy's called Cosmic Channels a bunch of times, I believe. Sawyer Das, Blair Armstrong, a full year pledge by Harrison Finch. Ooh, beauty. F underscore F. ETH? F? Must be. Luis Mario Lerma. Year pledge by Sammy GMD. Back again, not Agent Mulder in disguise. Ron's Ponderings. <laughs> That's good shit. That's good. James Navin. Stormy. Andrew Jorgensen with a year pledge. Also year pledge with Wayne's World. Aaron Placencia. Sometimes you fuck one up. It's no big deal. John Placencia. Placencia. John McDaniel. (laughs) Smars. Amanda. And Joey Klein. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for supporting the show. And as we say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. See you in after hours. Peace.